before we start off, uh, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, what type of forgiver are you? Have you guys ever thought that before? What type of forgiver are you? You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, I stumbled across a website that asked that very same question. Uh, the website was called, How Forgiving Are You? And they asked 12 questions. And apparently, and apparently, I didn't do too well at this because I only got a 44 out of 60, which I still have no idea how I got a 44 out of 60 because there's only 12 questions, but that's for another day there. Um, but I want to ask you guys some questions from that quiz this morning, okay? So in the quietness of your mind, think of a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, someone who has offended you, someone who has wronged you. I want you to think about that person. And as I read through these questions, answer, agree or disagree. Now, don't do this out loud. I'm not looking for that. Just in the quietness of your mind, do this, okay? So question number one. I keep as much distance between us as possible. Question number two. I don't trust them. I want them to get what they deserve. I find it difficult to act warmly towards them. I withdraw from them. Am I quick to forgive them? You know, as I was taking the, this quiz, I, I realized that in my own heart, I thought I was a forgiving person. I realized that I had some areas that, you know, I need, I need to grow in. But I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all need to grow in this area. We all need to grow in this area of forgiveness. So this morning, we're going to continue on in our series, Marks of a Healthy Christian. Last week, we looked at worship. Two weeks ago, we looked at humble service. And this week, we're going to look at the heart of forgiveness or really the motive of forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you guys this is participation, which is always kind of scary on a Sunday morning because I'm always afraid no one's going to raise their hand, but I have confidence in my question that all of you are going to raise your hand. <laughs> Here's my question, okay? By show of hands, who here has sinned last week? It's a pretty simple answer. If you're breathing this morning, your hand should be up, okay? <laughs> if it's not... Check your pulse there, okay? You know, the Bible says that we are all sinners. Doesn't matter who we are, where we come from, that we're all sinners. We all need forgiveness. This is something we, that this, this message isn't for someone else, isn't for your neighbor. I know Pastor Jeff shared that with us a couple weeks ago as he opened up this series. These messages are for us. They're not for your neighbor. I know how tempting it is. They're for you. They're for me. So when someone says, I forgive you, or when you say, I forgive you, what we're doing is we are removing a, a charge of, of guilt. And we are saying that no debt is paid. We're, we were removing a charge of guilt and saying nothing is owed. That's a better way of saying that. You know, someone once wrote, to forgive is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner walk free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt nothing owed. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far it can never be found again. To forgive is to grant full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. 
when we forgive or when we receive forgiveness, in a sense, that's what we're doing, but we're also doing something else. We're also making a promise uh, to borrow four promises from the Peacekeepers ministry. Uh, so if you're taking notes, write down this. If you're not taking notes, why aren't you taking notes? Because <laughs> if you write it, you know it, and if you know it, you do it. Uh, so here are your four promises. I encourage you guys to write this down. Ask your neighbor. Promise number one. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not dwell on this incident. Promise number two. I will not bring this incident up or use it against them. I will not bring this incident up and use it against them. Promise number four, I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not talk to others about this incident. And the last promise, promise number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I would not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's what it means to forgive. When we say we forgive, that's what's going on. You know, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, in verse 4, we get a glimpse of what forgiveness is. In the sense, forgiveness is, it's not an emotion. It's it's not a feeling in the sense, I need to feel like I need to forgive. We see something different there. We see that forgiveness is an action, that forgiveness is an act of the will. And Jesus says, if, if he or really someone sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive them. See, forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not extra credit. It's not bonus points. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I, we are commanded to forgive. And we see this in different texts in in the Bible. Colossians 3.13 says, of bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Or Ephesians 4.31, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so this morning, I want us to think about one statement. I'm keeping it simple this morning because I like things simple. Uh, our one statement this morning is this, healthy Christians are forgiving Christians. Healthy Christians are forgiving Christians. So to help us understand this, if you have a copy of God's word, turn to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. As you're turning there, in chapter 18, we find Jesus, he's talking to, with his disciples. He's talking to them about life within the, within the church, especially when it comes to discipline. Jesus taught that if a brother or a sister comes and asks for forgiveness, you should forgive them. And as Peter is is trying to wrestle and and process and understand Jesus' statement here, Peter asks Jesus a question. In Matthew 18, 
Verse 21. This is Peter's question. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, one thing we have to realize is that uh, the Jewish leaders, the rabbis of that day, they taught that there were limits on forgiveness. And the limit was three. And, and the Talmud, a collection of Jewish rabbinical teachings, uh, wrote, if a person commits a transgression for the first, he is to be forgiven. The second, he is to be forgiven. And the third time, he is to be forgiven. But if he commits it a fourth time, he is not to be forgiven. For it says, thus says God, for three transgressions of Israel, I have looked away, but for four, I will not pardon them. In a sense, these, these rabbis, these Jewish leaders, they, they read Amos chapter one and they took it out of context. And basically they interpret it as being God only forgives three times. So if God forgives three times, I only need to grant forgiveness three times. But listen to how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or really another way we can translate this is 70 times seven. He takes Peter's gracious answer here at seven, instead of three, Peter says seven here, and he blows out the water, and basically says, Peter, you're looking for a number, that an absolute number. I want to give you an uncountable number. Because he's not saying that you must forgive them 490 times and on the 491st time, all of a sudden, you're done, you're through. No more forgiveness for you. See, it doesn't matter how many, time someone, how many times someone comes and asks for forgiveness. We forgive like it's the first time. Because there is no limits on God's forgiveness. God's not in heaven with a scorecard adding up all the times that we seek forgiveness and waiting for that magic number to come around and be like, well, that's 491, no more for you. No, he doesn't do that. His forgiveness is unlimited. Uh, imagine if I had a neighbor come to me and says, hey, can I borrow your uh, wheelbarrow? Sure, come on, have it. And he says, oh, you know what? I will bring it back to you tomorrow. Guess what happens the next day? No wheelbarrow. Day after, no wheelbarrow. A week later, still, I have no wheelbarrow. Ten months later, my neighbor comes, comes over and says, hey, I'm bringing back your wheelbarrow. Hey, and, and I'm, I'm sorry for being so late. I'm sorry that, you know, it's missing one of the handles. Do you, do you forgive me? So you know what? Yeah, I forgive you. Next week, my neighbor comes over and says, hey, can I borrow your mower? Hebrews 10, 17 says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. See, God can't forget sins. He can't forget it because that would violate his nature. God deliberately 
God chooses to not bring them up. Jesus is telling Peter that forgiveness is unlimited. And to further drive home his point, he gives them a parable, a parable of extremes, of extreme debt and extreme grace. A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In this parable, we have this master, we have this king who represents God, and we have a servant who who wants forgiveness, who doesn't want to extend forgiveness. This is what I want to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I want to give you a roadmap, an outline for our message this morning. The first is the heart of the king, the heart of the servant, and the heart of the message. The heart of the king, the heart of the servant, and the heart of the message. Let's look at this parable together. Uh, in verse 23 in Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle counts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that servant saw, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seized him. He began choking him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Oh, gracious father, we we come to you. We acknowledge our sin, Lord. We acknowledge... um, our failure in pursuing righteousness in every, in every situation in our lives. And I pray as we study your word, as we open it up, I pray that you would grant us understanding through your Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would humbly step away and allow your Holy Spirit to work through your word in our hearts. Lord, help me speak clearly Lord, we pray for your glory. Amen. So our first point this morning is the heart of the king. The heart of the king. For whatever reason, this king, he wants to collect on some of his debts. And so he summons one of his servants in to his chamber. 
This servant was most likely probably a high official's kingdom simply because of the amount of debt this guy owed, 10,000 talents, a ridiculous sum of money. Uh, Warren Wiersbe writes that it would take up to 20 years just to earn one talent. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. This insane amount. And really what Jesus is doing here is deliberately drawing a picture of this man. He wants his disciples to see this man's debt is impossible to pay. Doesn't matter how hard he works. Doesn't matter how hard he tries. It would take him over 100,000 years for this guy to pay back his debt. Because he could not pay, he was ordered with his family to be sold and everything that he had in slavery so the king could at least get some money back. Yeah, he's taking a huge loss on this, but he's going to get some money back on it. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Man, this guy has nowhere to go. He, he can't go to a bank. He can't go to a loan office or he can't go to a neighbor or a family member and say, hey, hey, can I borrow 10,000 talents? Because none of them have it. He has nowhere to go. So he does the only thing that he can do. He gets down before the king and he, he shows him honor. He says, king, I'll pay you everything. Hey, I'll pay you everything. This guy understands his guilt. He understands what he has done wrong. It's a plea for mercy. He has nowhere else to go but to the king. You know, it's interesting that the servant and the king, they both know that the size of this debt is unpayable. Jesus is painting a picture of our sin debt. Our sin is bigger, it's deeper, it's wider than we will ever understand. Like Kent Hughes writes in his commentary, that Jesus thinks deep down and not so deep down that people are really, really bad. I like how, how he describes that because we don't need to look deep down in, in us to know that we're bad. We know it. We wake up in the morning and we realize it. But the truth is, we don't like to think of ourselves in that light. We like to think that we are a good person. Yeah, we do some bad things. Yeah, we might lie. We might deceive. We might do small sins. Well, in our eyes, small sins. We're not like our neighbor here who apparently breaks a wheelbarrow and is going to break my mower too, probably. Or we're not that guy on TV who, who, who murders people. I'm not like that. Yeah, I might do some stuff, but really, I'm a good person. Yet yeah, what, what, what God is saying, what Jesus is saying is that we are that bad, that our sin is that bad. You know, in 1741, Jonathan Edwards, he graphically illustrates our situation in a sermon that he preached entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's probably one of the most famous sermons that's ever been preached in American soil. The sinners in the hand, 
hands of, a, of an angry God. That sermon was preached over 300 years ago. It's probably one of the most famous ones that people still read to this day. And in it, he describes our condition. He says, oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Tis a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and to burn it. And you have no interest in a mediator, nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep you off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. See, Edwards here, he describes our spiritual condition outside of Jesus Christ. He describes us as being hanging over this, this furnace of, of, of hell by a thread. And we say everything is fine when everything is not fine. But in verse 27, this king does something radical. This king does, this king does something crazy. This king does something that no one would, would, would ever expect him to do. He forgives him. Not partial, but all his debt. And it says, out of pity for him, the master or the king of that servant released him and forgave him the debt the heart of the master is revealed. The heart of God is revealed to his servants or to his disciples. See, God has pity or compassion on sinners who repent. In Luke 15, 7, it says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, when you or I, when we run to God in prayer, we ask for forgiveness for our sins, God has compassion on us. Because God knows our debt. God understands our debt. He understood that the only way that our debt could be removed, that our debt could be paid, was through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he writes and explains our spiritual condition. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one kind of bleak and dark picture of the reality of our situation that we're not good. But later on in the exact same chapter, uh, Paul says in verse 21, but, I love that, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or as a payment of, as a payment by his blood to be revealed by, to received by faith. See, man's greatness, man's greatest need is, is not money. Man's greatest need is not happiness. Man's greatest need is not a job. Man's greatest need is not relationships. Man greatest, man's greatest need is forgiveness. And God met that need on the cross. See, there's nothing we can do on our own to, to change our situation. There's nothing this servant could have done to change his situation. He couldn't do anything. And what yet Jesus is saying is that we are this servant. We are this servant with an unpayable debt. And yet what we see is the heart of the king. We see the heart of the Father sending his Son for us. And when we look at this now forgiven servant, you would think that having his burdens removed, having this freedom now that he'd be this changed person, that's not the case here. Actually, the opposite takes place. Because the heart of the king we see beats with compassion. And the heart of the servant beats only for himself. Our second point this morning is the heart of the servant in verse 28. That when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And he seized him and began choking him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with them, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and he went and put him into prison until he should pay his debt. This forgiven servant, for, for whatever reason, he, he leaves the, his master's his chamber, his, his king's chamber, after just being received, just after receiving forgiveness of this immense, unpayable debt, he goes out. We don't know if he looks for him or if he just sees him there. He goes up to him, he says, where's my money? Now, 100 denarii is nothing compared to what this guy owed. Denarii was equal to basically one day's wage. So basically, if you worked a, a, a job then, you get paid one denarii, and that was your payment for the day. This guy owed 100, so be equivalent to about a little over three months' wages. It's a lot of money, but it's doable. It's payable. It'll take some time, but you'll be able to pay it off. But instead of uh, being gracious, instead of saying, you know, I want to extend you mercy. Look what the king did to me. Look what I want to do to you. He doesn't do that. Basically, he picks him up by his throat and says, pay me what you owe. That's real loving right there. This is messed up. No one in their right mind would ever do this. In verse 29, it says, So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I'll, and I'll pay you. You would think light bulb would go off right here. 
He is hearing what he just said to the king, and yet nothing is clicking. Something should have clicked. Something should have happened. Well, hey, you know, I just said the exact same thing. Maybe I will give you grace now. Nothing happens. Instead, in verse 30, he refuses, and he went, and he put him into prison until he should pay the debt. He couldn't sell him into slavery because the debt was, wasn't enough. So he does the next best thing is, I'm going to throw you in jail now. Now, you can just imagine, imagine disciples listening to the story, and you can imagine Peter. I, I love Peter. Peter, uh, he thinks <laughs> very quickly, and doesn't think very quickly. <laughs> so you can just imagine Peter with anger and like, like frustration and just interrupting Jesus and saying, Jesus, no, this guy doesn't get it. He's been forgiven of this amount, this unpayable debt, and he's going after this trivial thing? Are you kidding me? This is a lame story. Give me a better one. <laughs> That's the point. That's what Jesus is trying to do. It's what he's doing here. He's painting the picture of the church. The church is a community of redeemed and forgiven people. Of unpayable debts very similar to the one this servant had been forgiven. And we act that very same way when we, when we refuse to forgive people. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we fail to forgive, we fail to love. If we fail to forgive, we fail to love. And one of the, the scary things about all this is, is we can sit under right teaching. We can hear the truth. We can know the truth. We can regurgitate truth. But we can fail to apply this to our own lives. I'll take my life, for example, because I'm not perfect at all. I never claimed to be. I was a junior in college. I uh, was dating a, a girl at the time. We dated about, about six months and. Towards the end of the, those six months, I got a phone call one day from an older gentleman, about 10 years older than me, a man who was very mature in the faith. He calls me up. He says, hey, you know what? Can you meet me in, in my apartment? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why are you calling? About my mind, I'm thinking, why is he calling me? I'm like, this is kind of random. I'm like, have I done anything wrong yet? I don't know yet. <laughs> so I get there, knock on the door. I come in. I sit down on his couch. And it's him and his wife there. I'm thinking, oh, this is good. <laughs> I've done something wrong now, and I still have no idea why I'm there. And he asked me, he's like, so how's your relationship going with her? And I was like, yeah, it's, this, my relationship's going, going, going okay with her. We're, we're doing, doing fine. How, like, how well do you know her past? I was like, well, we've talked. We've shared a little bit. I still have no idea where he's going with this, so I'm getting a little nervous now. All of a sudden, he backs up the semi-truck of her past. It absolutely crushes me. I thought I knew this person, but in reality, I didn't know her at all. And the saddest thing about all this, we'll just say that relationship ended really quickly, but the saddest thing about all this is, is for months, months, I didn't want to forgive her. I wanted the world to basically cause chaos in her life and get what she deserves 
because at that, at that moment, all I saw was her sin against me. I failed to recognize the sin that God has forgiven me of. That sin in front of me was all I could see. Yeah, that's what this servant, this servant could, all that he could see was right in front of him and he failed to see what the king had done to him. He failed to recognize it. What type of a heart do you have? Do you have a heart like the king who has compassion or are you like the servant who cares only about yourself? What is your response? What is your response when your coworker sins against you, steals a promotion, lies, whatever? How do you respond to that? What happens if, you're, if your kid sins against you 22 times, the exact same sin, 22 times in one day? How do you respond to that? What happens if your wife or your husband, your husband asks for forgiveness? What do you, how do you respond to that? We have these opportunities in our lives, just like this servant. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has forgiven you of an immense debt. Will you look at that small debt in front of you or will you look at the large debt that God has forgiven you of? Because how we respond to that, how we respond to those situations, is how we view our sin before God. You know, as Jesus draws his parable to a close, he gets the heart of the message. It's our last point this morning, the heart of the message in verse 31. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They were saddened. And they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? It's a rhetorical question here. He's not looking for the answer because the answer is right there in front of him. Yeah, you should have known. You should have known. You should have gave. I gave it to you and you should have gave it to them. Verse 34, in anger, uh, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is not teaching that if we fail to forgive, then God will remove his forgiveness from us. No, that's not this parable. This parable is not a parable about salvation. It's a parable about forgiveness between brothers and sisters in Christ. David Platt writes, the Bible is not saying that it's easy to forgive or that it's natural to forgive. However, it's Christian to forgive. In fact, the Christian has no other option. We forgive not because we have to, but because in love, we're compelled to. See, forgiveness is an outflow of the heart. If we repeatedly fail to forgive others, 
question must be asked of us, have we ever truly experienced God's saving forgiveness? But there is a stern warning in this passage. If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ and you refuse to forgive someone from the heart, Jesus promises that you will be disciplined until you learn to forgive. That's what we see in this parable. The unmerciful servant was not handed over to the executioner. He was not handed over to, to, to be sold into slavery. No, he was handed over to the jailer. So too, if we refuse to forgive, we do not lose our eternal forgiveness. No, we still keep that. But we are disciplined until we learn to forgive. And Jesus is driving the point home to his disciples and to us that forgiveness is unlimited and not an option. A healthy Christian forgives because they have been forgiven of an immense debt and they are grateful so they forgive others. But before we close, there's one more thing here. One more thing that Jesus brings up. He says, forgive from the heart. See, Jesus is not saying merely give lip service forgiveness, which is very easy to do. It's very easy to say, I forgive you, but really, I don't. It's easy to do that. The scary thing is we do this more often than we realize it. One commentator writes, genuine forgiveness that is from your heart is trusting forgiveness. Forgiveness that sees the, the offending brother just as he was before he sinned. If we truly forgive a person, we trust him just as we trust him before. We do not hold the offense over his head or even in our minds, thinking that he will likely sin again. You know, like what I said at the very beginning, when we forgive, we are making, we're making four promises. We're, making a, we're saying a promise that promise to not dwell on this incident, a promise not to bring this incident up or use it against them, a promise not to talk to others about this incident, and a promise not to allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. A healthy Christian forgives from the heart. Before we close, I want to tell a story, an illustration Maybe it's illustration you've heard before, especially if you were here for VBS a couple weeks ago. And one of the days at VBS on Tuesday, we talked about forgiveness. And in our afternoon session, our, our group session, we talked about a story of Corey Ten Boone. Corey Ten Boone, if you don't know her, she grew up in Holland during the 1940s, uh, during the occupation in World War II. She was a devout Christian. She loved the Lord. Her and her family, they, they knew what was taking place with the Jews and what the Nazis were doing. And so they wanted to do something about that. So they, they built a, a false wall in, in their house where they could, they could hide them from the authorities. But one day the authorities found out about this. So I want to read a, an excerpt uh, from her autobiography, The Hiding Place. And when they found out about it, they sent her and her family to a concentration camp. Listen to this. 
It was in a church in Munich I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947. And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. That's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and the visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with the with the it came back with a rush. A huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Bessie and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And his hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. Bessie had died in that place. Could he ease her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, for I knew I had to do it. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hands. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So, and so woodenly and mechanically, I thrusted my hands into the one stretched out to me. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so powerfully as I did then. You know, Corey understood. She understood her unpayable debt that was paid by Jesus on the cross for her. Do we? Do we understand that debt? You know, this morning, we looked at two different hearts. We looked at the heart of the king, heart of compassion, and we looked at the heart of the servant, the heart of selfishness. And the question is, what type of a forgiver are you? What type of a forgiver are you? My prayer has been that we would be a church eager and quick to forgive. We would be a church of the heart of this king, willing and ready to forgive. Let's pray. 
Lord, we, we are in awe of Corey Ten Boone's testimony. What a powerful story it is to, to, to demonstrate forgiveness. Lord, I pray if, if we do not understand our sin, if we do not understand our sin debt before a holy God, I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would, you would show us that. Lord, I do pray that we would be a church, a church that has the heart of the king, that is eager to forgive. Lord, when people drive by our church, that they would see our building and they would see a church that forgives. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts of forgiveness. If there's people in our lives that we need to seek forgiveness from, I pray, Lord, that we would that we would quickly seek that. Lord, if there's people who come into our lives who seek forgiveness, that we would not limit our forgiveness, but we would be an example of, of our God who has unlimited, who has unlimitless forgiveness. Lord, we would gladly grant that. Be quick to grant that. Because we understand our sin debt before you. Lord, and we are thankful for that. And I pray this all in your name. Amen.